Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Let me get into the word of the Lord today. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, we know the Old Testament was full of types and shadows of things to come in the New Testament. The Old Testament gave us the tabernacle plan and led us to the gospel message, death, burial, resurrection, many, many things. The ark is typology of salvation. There's one door, <laughs> one way. Amen. So many things in the Old Testament that were revealed in the New Testament. But the New Testament also has a... Uh, forerunner if you would say of Jesus Christ by the name of John that's where we're going to kind of dig in today and plan ourselves for the next few minutes and I just pray that you would stay sensitive and just back up the word today if you hear something that it's agreeable to you and touches your spirit it's okay to say amen it's okay to say, preach it, preacher. If I'm preaching false stuff. Don't say a word. Don't back up somebody that's preaching something that is untrue. But if there's something that resonates with your spirit today, don't be afraid to just jump right in and affirm the word. Amen. Affirm the word. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Praise the Lord. I've just uh, entitled this message, which I intended to preach last week. The Lord moved so beautifully. It was not needful last week. You got the word, but this week, he told me it was okay to go ahead and preach this this week. <laughs> I want to preach to you a message I've entitled of things to come, of things to come. Amen. You may be seated today. If you go back and read John's story a little bit, um, <clears throat> I got a little tickled reading some of the, the way he kind of began. Uh, I, I believe that John, um, he opened up pretty blunt, pretty bold. Uh, and I wonder today, I, I got to thinking, I wonder how churches in our modern 21st century churches would would respond if John were to stand up and proclaim to us what he proclaimed to the people of his day. Because pretty much one of the first things out of his mouth when he began to speak and preach about Jesus Christ coming, he looked at the crowd that day and he said, call them a bunch of vipers, a bunch of vipers. He began to, to speak to them very, very bluntly. How would you take it 
if I opened up this sermon today and I said, you know what? I'm up here preaching to a bunch of snakes. I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that because you're not that. But John was dealing with a situation here, and he was trying to come across rather crudely. He needed to grasp their attention, very, being very honest, very forthright when he was dealing with them. And he began to preach to them some things that would be life-changing for those that would pay attention to him. You know, oftentimes in our modern culture, we are so affected by what offends us, affected so much that when something offends us, we typically walk away from it. Now, I don't have a real problem with that as long as it is not truth that is offending me. If something is offensive to me, I typically will change a channel or step away from a conversation or remove myself out of the situation entirely just to get away because I don't like being offended. But I have to ask myself a question sometimes, is what is being said to me honest and truthful, and if so, and I am offended, why am I offended? John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, he's prophetically speaking here of a time that would come in the not-too-distant future. But unfortunately for John, if you look at the history of John, his mother and father, you will find that his life would end before the fulfillment of his prophecy would come to pass. Go back and read Luke chapter 1. You'll find something that sets John and his parents apart from the average family. His dad's name was Zacharias. He was a, one of the priests, and his mother was Elizabeth. Wonderful people, the Bible tells us. Even calls them righteous people. They were not bad people. They were not sinners. They were good people, righteous people, doing everything within their power to live holy and godly in the time frame that they were in, in the time that they were living in the Old Testament dispensation. They were wonderful people, but Zacharias and Elizabeth, they had this issue, and the issue was is that they could not have children. They were childless. One day, Zacharias, he did not let that keep him from his priestly duties. He's in the temple, and he is in charge of burning the incense on this particular day, and while he's in there, he gets a visit. But it's not just an average visit. It's not like just, oh, my best buddy stopped by to see if, uh, uh, if uh, uh, asked me how the weather was, was doing, a, a casual conversation. No, this was a supernatural visit by an angel, and that angel was not some unnamed angel. That angel was an iconic angel by the name of Gabriel. And Gabriel steps into that temple and walks up to Zacharias, and Zacharias, uh, of course, gives him his full attention, and Gabriel begins to tell Zacharias that he would have a son, and he was to name his son John, and that John would be filled with the Holy Ghost before he was ever even born, but while he was still in his 
mother's womb, he would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Zacharias, as most of us probably would be, had a little bit of trouble taking this all in. A little doubt crossed his mind. You know, just in case you haven't noticed, we, we can't have children. <laughs> just in case you haven't noticed, Gabriel and my wife is barren. I, I, we, we cannot, we've not been able to produce a child. We've not been able to conceive. How can this happen? Gabriel says it will happen because God's will will be done. But because, Zacharias, you have doubted, I'm going to close your mouth, and you will not be able to speak a word until John is born. I love, it's not the only place in the Bible that the Lord shuts the mouth of the doubter. Doubt will destroy a dream. Doubt can get in the way... When God gives you a promise, when God sends a visitation, a supernatural visitation, and in prayer you're kneeling down and praying and you feel God giving you a promise, friend, doubt is your greatest enemy. Satan is not your greatest enemy. Doubt is your greatest enemy. And I want you to know today, if God can shut the mouth of Zacharias, then he can help you shut the mouth of doubt in your life because doubt is a destroyer of God's vision and God's dream for your life. Sure enough, just as foretold, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Zacharias, as much as he might like to, can you imagine that, that, that evening when she comes in? She says, I went down to the Dollar Tree because they're a buck 25 and they need to call it the dollar and a quarter tree now. They're really just false advertisement. It's not the Dollar Tree anymore. John, look, I'm going to have a baby. And you know, you, John, Zacharias, Zacharias, she's telling Zacharias this, John was her son to come, okay, just so I haven't confused anybody here. She's talking to Zacharias, and she says, I'm pregnant, I'm with, uh, with child. You know Zacharias would have liked to jump up from his seat or his bed or his couch or wherever he was at and said, whoa, whoa, this is too good to be. It's happening just like Gabriel said it would happen, but he could not speak. Time goes by six months. The Bible lets us know six months goes by. And all of a sudden, while they're going about their daily routine, Zacharias is still not able to speak. All of a sudden, they get a knock at the door. They go to answer the door, and it's Cousin Mary. They're to check up on Elizabeth. She's heard the news. Elizabeth got this miraculous child. She was never able to have children. Now she's six months along. I'm going to go check things out and visit with my cousin Elizabeth. And she knocks on the door. <coughs> they open up the door, and Mary cries out to Elizabeth and greets her. The Bible calls it a salutation. It's like, oh, Elizabeth, it's so good to see you. And the Bible said that when Elizabeth heard the salutation, the greeting from Mary, that inside of her belly, the baby leapt with joy. John leaps in Elizabeth's belly. 
And Luke chapter 1, verse 41 tells us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost as well. So now, not only do we have a baby still in its mother's womb filled with the Holy Ghost, but Elizabeth, the mother of this child, is also filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, how, you may ask, all I can say is God is sovereign. He does what he wants to do. Amen. He can do what, no, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the 120 in the upper room, and it had not taken place yet. That was further on down the road, about 30 or so years. To, it was not yet to take place. But right here, we have this mother and child filled with the Holy Ghost before the Holy Ghost was ever poured out on humanity. The rest of the world has to wait three decades plus, but John leaps in Elizabeth's belly. Three months go by and John is born. Zacharias can't say a word. He can't go next to Elizabeth and say, honey, breathe. He can't do any of that. He can't be like I was when my wife was having the baby before the epidural kicked in and said, honey, I love you so much, but please, you are digging your nails into the top of my hand. It is killing me. Can you let up just a little bit? He's just got to patiently endure. Not being able to speak a word. Eight days after the child is born, He's to be circumcised, and everybody's already, I'm sure, calling him, oh, little Zach. He looks just like his daddy. We call him little Zach, and Elizabeth hears this and gets word of it and says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. His name is not Zacharias. His name shall be John. Well, that caused quite an uproar, and the people, read it for yourself. The people in the, in the word of God, they said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That's not how we do things. Your grand." Your, his father's name isn't John. His middle name's not even John. Grandpa, his grandpa's not a grandpa. John, he doesn't have an uncle named John. John is not a family name. You need to name him after somebody in the family. Does Zacharias know that you're going to name him John? And so they go to Zacharias, the father, and said, hey, you need to hear what she's, gonna, what, what, what she's about to do. She's wanting to name your son John. What do you have to say about it? He had nothing to say about it because he still can't speak. And so they hand him something to write on, and he grabs whatever writing utensil they used back then, and he writes, his name is John. And the Bible says that when he wrote that down, that the Lord loosed his tongue and Daddy Zachariah got filled with the Holy Ghost too. Hmm. <laughs> what an incredible, special family this was. Mama and Daddy and baby boy all filled with the Holy Ghost. That was not typical. That was unheard of. The Holy Ghost would come upon people, but the Holy Ghost was not yet dwelling inside of people. But you now have a family of mother, father, and son who are all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
History tells us that none of those three, neither Zacharias nor Elizabeth or John, would live to see the day that the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. All three of them would perish. They would not be there to see the fulfillment of the outpouring of the promise as Jesus foretold on the hill of Bethany. But God in his sovereignty filled this special family of forerunners of things to come. And they became insiders to a pre-upper room Pentecostal experience of what was to come on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Amen. Let me tell you something today. There is something dwelling inside of every child of God who has been filled with the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And there is a world in which we live that would try to temper that down. There is a world in which we live that would try to say, that is not for us today, but you might as well tell me that there's no such thing as sunshine. How ridiculous would that be? Because I've already stepped outside almost every day of my life and felt the warmth of the rays of that sun as it's beamed down upon my body. Amen. You might as well tell me there is no rain. That is ridiculous because I've stepped out in the yard at times and I've felt the drop tip my face. You've come too late to tell me there's no such thing as sunshine. You come too late to tell me there's no such thing as rain because I've already experienced those things. I know that they exist. And when somebody tries to tell me that there's no such thing as the Holy Ghost, that there's no such thing as God in filling his people, amen, you've come too late because I have already experienced the power of the Acts 2.38 experience. The Holy Ghost is real, and it's for people today. And you and I are the forerunners. For those who have not yet experienced it, we have a responsibility. God didn't give Elizabeth and Zacharias and John the Holy Ghost, amen, just because he wanted to do something extra special night. No, there was a purpose in why he gave this family this precious gift. And there's a purpose behind why you and I are walking around with the spirit of almighty God dwelling inside of us. You are the temple of his spirit. John became the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way. He fully comprehended what was coming like only someone who has experienced it before it got there. How can you truly sell a product that you have not experienced for yourself? With my brother-in-law and sister-in-law this earlier this week, we took a little overnight trip to a small conference up north. <clears throat> and my brother-in-law, every time we're together, 
my wife begins to talk. She can make food sound so good. She can talk about, and he will say, he will say, you know what? Nobody, nobody explains it better than you do. I, now I'm hungry for that. I've got to have that. I, you know, I'm going to work. Denise, we got to go shopping for that. Make sure that's on the shopping list. And they'll go back home. And they've never experienced it before, but there's something about the way that she describes it that just completely, he can't get his mind off of it after that. His big sister begins to explain something and describe something, but she only can explain it and describe it because she has already tasted it. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How can they know what he is like? They've never really truly tasted him. They need somebody to go to them and say, you've got to try this. Hey, if you haven't tried Jesus Christ like I have, you need his spirit. If you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you need that spirit living and dwelling in your life. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't have a job and a responsibility. We need the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is the difference maker. The difference maker in our lives. John had his adversaries. John eventually gave his own life. Are you the one or do we look for another? You see, everything about having the Holy Ghost causes us, as John said, I must decrease so that he can increase. When somebody's truly filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're witnessing to somebody. It's not about you. Your witness and your testimony is, is powerful, but everything should lead them not to you, but to the God who transformed you, to the God that remade you, to the God that gave you the renewing of your mind, that, that spirit, because we have no power. And John understood that. He said, I've only been given this power and this authority for a specific reason, and that is to go forward and have influence in those that are not yet tasted what I've tasted. I've already been there. I know what it feels like. I know the power that is there, and that's why I can preach this thing with authority and without reservation and tell you, you need to have what I have found, and I may not be here forever to tell you this, so I'm going to tell you this right now. I must decrease. Focus upon him. more Holy Ghost we have, the less of us that we'll have to fight. God gives us his spirit, but John said, it's the Holy Ghost of fire. One that I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. You're listening to me, but I'm telling you here today, I'm just a man like you. I'm not worthy. I'm, not, I, I'm just relaying a message and an experience to you. But the one that's following me, the one I'm blazing the trail for, I'm not even worthy to latch at his shoes. And he will fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God gives it, but it's up to you and I to maintain it. Talking the other couple Saturdays ago, we kind of broke off a little early from our work day up at the new place, the new church, and 
I asked the guys, where are you guys headed to? What's your evening? Brother Fisher said, I'm, I'm going to cut some wood. I'll get some wood. Or he went down, I think, cut a little wood. Then he went and got a bunch of wood from a place that he could buy wood from. And I, he said, yeah, I, I got this furnace. And that, that stoked my interest. He said, I said, you got a wood burning furnace? He said, yeah, one of those outdoor wood burning furnaces. I just love that kind of heat. I mean, I remember we had that as a child in our house. We had a wood burning furnace indoors. And then when we built a house in, uh, up north of here, uh, we, we made sure that we had a wood burning furnace in our basement. I just love that kind of heat. But there's one thing that I have noticed, and Brother Fisher, I'm sure, can attest to this, is if you don't attend to that fire, what happens? You can start a fire, but it's only going to last so long unless you feed it. Fire has to be fed in order to be maintained. You decide to quit throwing wood in the furnace, it won't be too long before Sister Fisher looking over at Brother Fisher and going, it's chilly in here. Brother Fisher said, go put on a sweater. And Sister Fisher said, go stoke the fire. The Holy Ghost must be fed. Must be fed. That's why it is important for you to have a prayer life. That is why it's important for you to read the Word of God. You, What are you doing? You're not just wasting time. You're not just reading an old history book. No, you are feeding what God gave you. You didn't start the fire. You couldn't get the fire on your own. You couldn't write a check big enough. It's not on a shelf somewhere down at Walmart. No, God gave you the fire, but he gave it to you with the intention that you would maintain what he gave to you. Then we'll sidestep here just for a moment and mention verse 17 today because I find it important that the word tells us that God's fan is in his hand. He will fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor gather wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. The music would come today. I'm wrapping this up. <coughs> the fan that he speaks of is not one of our little fans that we fan ourselves with if it's a little warm outside or in the church house during a service. But the fan of which the writer is writing about here is a winnowing fan. A winnowing fan. That's not a word that we use too much anymore. We don't really do too much of that. But I don't know. Maybe you've seen you've seen a a combine out in the fields, and the wheat or the corn is is falling out of the chute down into the container in the back of the truck, and there's a breeze or a wind blowing. There's one thing that you'll notice is that that breeze that that's blowing through there. The grain is falling down, but there's a there's dust and little flakes of chaff that's blowing away. 
Well, that's what they did here. They had a winnowing fan. It, it created a, a, a breeze, a wind that, that blew across the threshing floor. And they would bring the wheat in from the fields and lay it there. And then, and then the workers would take their forks and throw it into the air. And the wind from that fan would blow all the chaff off of the threshing floor and the wheat would fall back to the ground. See, nobody wants the chaff. The chaff is useless. The chaff is good for nothing. What they would do, they would have a fire going and they would position the fan in such a way that it would blow the chaff, not just off of the threshing floor into a big fire, into a big pile, but it would blow the chaff off of the threshing floor into the fire and it would keep the fire fed. Burn the chaff up. There was no use, no purpose for the chaff. And the chaff, unless it was removed, caused the grain to be unedible. I don't know, maybe you've gotten a piece of bread whole wheat bread sometime and you got a little something stuck between your teeth like what is that and a piece of chaff that little husk on the outside of that wheat didn't quite all come off of that piece of wheat and you want that out of there you don't that's just bothersome you see it's only the grain that has value so the fan not only separated the good from the unusable, but the wind fed the, the fire that burnt the chaff. Would you stand with me today? I want you to hear what I'm about ready to say. Services like we had last Sunday where you can feel the presence of God in such a tangible way. You're like, well, I already have the Holy Ghost. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy this service. Well, you may have the Holy Ghost, but the real question is, does the Holy Ghost have you? I've got the Holy Ghost. You got the fire? That's not something we like to talk about too much. We, we try to say, oh, we got the fire when we get really wound up and things get really moving. Ooh, it was on fire today. But the fire has an intended purpose that's not just meant to excite us, make us feel like we've had a great service. The fire is there to burn some things up in our life that are useless, pointless, and not worthy of being on the threshing floor with the true grain. I'll be the first to admit there's some things that God could use to burn out of my life. But there's some things that I want to hang on to. The husk doesn't fall away from the wheat just like that. It has to be, it has to be almost thrown up in the air to allow the wind to separate it. Without the wind, it just falls right back down with the grain. So sometimes God uses the wind in a great service. Sometimes God wind, 
looked a little bit more like a trial that you're going through. But when the wind begins to blow, it's not intended to destroy you. The wind blows upon your life in order to separate things that don't belong in you and reduce your value. Come on, is there anybody else besides me that could stand to let go of a few things in their life in order to become more valuable for the kingdom of God? My problem is I get real content. I get real comfortable. I get real busy. But busyness is no excuse for me not to be productive for God's kingdom. I must be in his will. Yes, I have the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and it seems like God refills me just about every time I kneel down to pray or come to a church service. The Lord hits me and I'm speaking another tongue. But what about the fire? See, I've had a little wind blowing through my life the past 56 years. It's okay. It's okay for the winds to blow. Sometimes God has a winnowing fan and he's faced it your direction. But it's there with a purpose because it's removing some things out of your life that we've become comfortable with. But they have devalued our relationship with God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Hmm. There's coming a time when God is going to separate wheat from chaff. Sheep from goats. We still live in this dispensation of grace. But grace is not a coverall for us to remain in sin. Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because there were some people that were that actually had the mindset in his day. There was, there was, there was some theology going around, some doctrine being taught that it's actually good for us to sin because when we sin, it allows God to show even more grace. How foolish Paul said that is. God forbid. God forbid. So no matter where we're at today, no matter what our relationship is with God, if you can be honest with yourself for a moment, I'm speaking to myself here as well. God, is there something, is there something in me that needs to go. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.